Uh, my name is Stefan Heller. I'm one of the founding partners of AQVC. Um, we're going to uh, talk a lot about AQVC actually today in this edition because we got a lot of requests of questions. Our last webinars, uh, always the highlight of it were the questions when the audience could ask all the questions. And since we do this live, um, we started to collect a, a lot of questions up front and we're trying to talk through those uh, questions in the content. Um, I was a founder and entrepreneur before. Built, um, built a couple of tech startups that I successfully sold, started to invest as an angel uh, and together with my partners realized uh, angel investing doesn't scale. So we wanted to have for our own uh, a, a semi-liquid product to invest in, in more scale and to venture capital and have it more easy, more flexible. And so that's how AQVC was born almost three years ago. Uh, and uh, Marius is one of my partners who, who, who built this together with me and our other partners, Oliver and Marcos. Um, so Marius, maybe very quickly about you. Thank you, Stefan. Hello, everyone. Um, my name is Marius, also one of the founding partners of AQVC. I am an educated lawyer, but left this environment quite fast or faster than, than others, I think, to help uh, build up a startup company uh, build. in 2012 uh, and parallel to building more than a dozen companies uh, we started um, raising and investing and managing venture capital um, fund vintages over a decade um, with a total of, I think, plus uh, 80 investments. And given this background, I'm in charge of fund structuring uh, and fundraising as well as investor relations at AQVC. And yeah, happy to be able to give you a bit more insights to our innovative fund of VC fund structure today. Perfect. Um, thanks, Marius. And anybody uh, listening in and uh, wants to, who wants to ask any questions, the chat, we actively monitor and read the chat. So please use the chat also if there are any technical issues. Um, it's actually the first time we're using Riverside. Uh, normally we are doing this in Zoom, but we wanted to try this. Um, so please let us know in the chat if there are any issues around this. Um, but it will also, or it is also recorded. And uh, so you can also watch the recording later uh, if you have to drop off. Um, so without further ado, let's get started. Um, so quick, uh, quickly the agenda for, for today's webinar. Um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about the current market opportunities that we see in venture capital for fund of funds and why we do think that fund of funds, even though um, there are fund of funds out there, even for venture capital, uh, there, is, there is a big market opportunity right now to build an innovative uh, structure and to also rethink how fund of funds and investing in venture capital is really done. Um, since one of our core vision uh, and drivers is to democratize the asset class. Yeah? And I think there we do see that venture capital as an asset class is slowly maturing. It's maturing out of a cottage industry. And so there will be also more innovation in how people are allocating to the asset class. And I think this is our overarching goal where we see uh, an under allocation across Europe and across a lot of ecosystems to to innovation, to venture capital. And we believe it's fundamentally important to to back uh, technologies, to, to back uh, daring entrepreneurs. And in our journey, we were always grateful to have access to great uh, VC funds uh, as well as angels. But there are not enough allocators in this world. And a lot of people do want to allocate, but they are not perfect ways to allocate. So I think that's what Marius then also will touch in the second uh, part where we talk about our innovative fund of fund structure and solution, how uh, our flagship AQVC's flagship fund of fund 
um, can uh, benefit investors and is actually an innovation uh, in this in this market to democratize the asset class. And last but not least, we open it up for questions. If you do have questions in the meantime, uh, always reach out, always stop us. Um, I know uh, Marius will stop me if I don't explain anything correctly and I will stop him. So let's try to make this as interactive as possible. Um, and let's kick it off. Uh, so one core thing that we have ob observed and that's really driving us and you know we've been in this in this ecosystem for uh 12 15 years yeah and so we've really seen the dot com crash live uh how it was as founders as as vcs and um especially before 2015 so this time uh it was very clear how venture capital overall in the ecosystem was structured right so you have you had a very clear structure of um how funds are behaving um and they were not really crossing over into each other's territory so you had very few angels you had a few traditional vc funds a few european vc funds that were only emerging uh, that are now big household names uh, and you had then obviously growth pe uh, and public markets so all of them were playing in their own uh, uh, focused categories but then in the last uh, 10 years almost so uh, after 2015 um, or around 2015 uh, it has changed so some of these traditional VC funds they just got very very large so they were playing an AOM game they were setting up new and more funds yeah so some of the um, managers were then uh, playing an early stage game across Europe, across emerging markets, etc. You had a lot of US funds starting to enter Europe. Yeah, so competition there was heavily increasing. Um, and obviously, you had more and more crossover funds from the public markets, um, which increased the velocity of fundraising for founders. Uh, and that meant that a lot of startups were funded that may have or shouldn't have been funded as heavy as they had been. Yeah? And so this resulted in, you know, you've, you, I'm sure some, most of you have watched We Crashed uh, and some of the now pop culture uh, media versions, but there are, you know, in quick commerce, in e-scooters, there are a lot of great businesses that emerge. However, these are not necessarily tech businesses. Yeah? And I think that's a very important distinguish, uh, distinguishing fact we are not bashing uh, or we don't want to say anything negative about these businesses and funds. I think they are great businesses. We are, we are, we love them as consumers, but they just don't deserve a tech multiple in, in a lot of these cases. And we saw that a lot of solo GPs, micro funds and conservative blue chips funds were emerging, focusing on this. Um, and so I think that, uh, sorry, we just got a question actually. Um, there's an alternative live stream on YouTube that Mark just shared if you are having issues in viewing the presentation. Um, so um, these new funds, they, they still continue to focus on, 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 on great innovation. I think that's very important that these more focused strategies versus these larger generalists, they actually have access to the best uh, emerging technologies. And that's something that we are now seeing as a big opportunity today. Yeah, so now we live in a world that has corrected, the market correction has happened, and we do see that there's a big opportunity in accessing small, uh, hard to select emerging managers that are very fragmented. So the workload required to select these managers for much smaller ticket sizes is actually quite high. And if you do this out of a family office, out of you know a, a larger 
allocator, then it obviously takes more time. So instead of allocating 10 million to a single fund, you want to allocate 1 million to 10 funds or more. And that means obviously you need to obviously look at all these funds, do a lot of due diligence and then consolidate the work, right? The, the relation with these fund managers continues for the fund duration. And this is obviously a very, very long time frame. We're still talking about 10 year, 15 year investment horizons uh, here. And on the other hand, we have established blue chip funds that remained conservative in their fund size. They, gr they have grown over the years in fund size, obviously, but they are small relative to their market size. And they've just become big brands to attract the best founders. And I think this is another big opportunity to make this more accessible to investors uh, because normally these funds require very large ticket sizes uh, and are definitely not accessible to any small uh, uh, and, and or even emerging family office, right? That is new to the to the VC ecosystem. So we do see that these managers, especially the emerging funds and developing funds, have traditionally been outperforming. So at the end, we always also talk about performance, uh, and and this is data from the European Investment Fund where we see for fully built vintages from 2004 to 2016 that the top decile performance of these vintages almost every year around 70 percent is made up of emerging or developing funds emerging funds are funds one and developing funds are funds two and three so these are really uh, funds that means that they have track record obviously but they are very hard to select and if you talk to these fund managers they very often are struggling to fundraise uh, and also investors are sometimes struggling to commit to these funds so again this is where we are specializing on um so continuing um, what we see obviously right now is a great time to invest in venture. I mentioned not only the shift in funds that we have seen, but it's also after market correction. So now we are back to having access to great talent. So a lot of people are still looking for jobs in VC. Big tech has, um, has corrected. There are a lot of people now looking for jobs, people starting new companies, and these companies are very frugal. Uh, so looking to deploy um, their funds uh, into the right, uh, uh, solving the right problems and uh, finding product market fit. And this is what obviously usually breeds the best vintages, at least historically. And so a lot of people uh, share this, that, uh, that, that historically these vintages that are created right now uh, outperform by over 7% on average. Uh, venture isn't an averages business, so you always have outliers in there. And I think that in 10 years' time, we'll look back to now 2023, 2024, and actually see that these will be the best years uh, of venture historically at, at that point in time. Um, another big topic that um, we have observed is that venture is a global opportunity. So um, historically, a lot of fund of funds have focused on access to the US. So we are obviously in Germany, we are European. Um, a, a lot of European family offices, they don't have access to the US, so they invested into a fund of fund that gave them access to Silicon Valley. That was great the last 10, 20 years. However, venture overall is a global phenomenon. The knowledge of building startups, the, being an entrepreneur is being democratized. Yeah? And so everywhere where we see unicorns in an in ecosystem, so that may be in Munich, in Berlin, in London, in Paris, in Warsaw, uh, there, there, there's a, there, there are 20, 30 new startups coming up with much more experienced founders. And this obviously also attracts investors. And these investors, it, it, especially in the earlier stages, they need to have boots on the ground. Therefore, it's a fragmented market with local investors in all of these ecosystems. Um, now, 
talking about the opportunity at early stage. So obviously investing in early stage is the most risky. Yeah, if you are an angel investor, like what we have been doing, or what Marius has been doing, incubating companies, or really investing at the earliest stages, um, you will have some companies that will not make it. That's very clear. Uh, and you will have some zombies that will not, you don't know where they will go, but they will take a lot of years to to either be, you know, acquired in a fire sale or an hire or to shut down. And this is fine, right? This is the part of, of venture, of creation, of innovation. Um, but that means also you need diversification in order to tap into these best uh, opportunities. And that's why diversification, if you do it directly, is very, very hard to do. You need to then really build up your own investment team. You need to have boots on the ground, etc. So the best way in our uh, way to get uh, diversification, in our point of view, at the early stages is by investing through a fund of fund that will cover from pre-seed to Series A, Series B. And then you can invest directly as a family office. Uh, if you have that capability at a Series B, Series C, uh, where still a lot of upside uh, can happen. Um, now, we see ourselves as the bridge between established and emerging funds globally. And I think this is also very unique um, because there are uh, very, very few fund of funds. We actually don't know uh, any that in one vehicle, in one structure, allow you to access established VC funds, bigger brands that are well-known, uh, as well as emerging managers that will be the big brands of tomorrow. And and I think this is a cycle. Uh, people don't understand uh, historically that emerging managers mature into an established firm and sometimes also established firms uh, don't want to grow too big and they might shut down at some point. Doesn't mean the funds will be bad, but also some of these funds may not continue yeah, because some fund managers may retire uh, and things like looking at the past performance is not the predictor of future performance, obviously. And so keeping that fresh, always looking at which emerging managers will be the next brands of tomorrow is something that is very, very important in our point of view. Um, and that makes us unique as an LP. Uh, and we believe due to our team, due to our knowledge uh, and track record as fund of fund investors, but also as entrepreneurs, we have not just the best access, but also the best sort of gut feeling for selection. Yeah? Um, we also have a big DNA for good, and this will be the perfect segue to Mario's because our democratization vision. Yeah, We want to make it more easily accessible. And that doesn't mean retail. So it's very important to understand we're still a product for professional investors only. So it is not a retail product. And the retail vision is something that is much, much later down the line. But even in the professional realm, in the wealth realm, there are so many family offices, so many businesses uh, that have no allocation to uh, venture capital or access to innovation. And I think this is what we want to change. Um, secondly, a big uh, a plus why VC funds want to partner with us is because we are a very reliable source of capital uh, because of our long-term nature. We are an, a permanent capital structure. We are an evergreen. Marius will tell more about that. Um, but that means we don't have to rebalance, for example. We will, we will continue to back the managers as long as they continue to perform. And last but not least, we are tech-enabled. So we don't talk about this today a lot, but actually we've built AQVC from the ground up to be tech-driven first. And I think this is also a big change in the industry where historically deals were done very intransparent, were done uh, on a sort of tit-for-tat on a golf course level, uh, very little diversity, uh, diversity in, in venture capital overall. And we want to change this by using technology as the backbone, as really putting our investment team, our gut feeling, our investment 
uh, experience on steroids. Yeah, so we'll, we'll do a webinar on this hopefully in the near future and tell you more about our uh, unique uh, discovery platform. But now let's talk about our evergreen structure and uh, and this is the perfect segue to you, Marius. Thank you, Stefan. Uh, yeah, everything leads to uh, yeah some some hurdles and, and efforts um, had to take uh, in order to create a structure that fits all this um, and, and prepares us and, and our investors to be able to invest into the future in the best possible way. So the AQVC structure, um, and maybe we, we also already skip to the next slide, Stefan, um, as a short overview, is tailored to the needs of investors. So we learned in more than a decade as investors in startups, um, founders already, company builders and VC funds, what the needs and what the pain points are. Um, our focus clientele are today mainly high net worth individuals uh, and family offices, but also institutions, um, at least further down the road. So um, we need to build or needed to build a product um, which serves in best case all of these segments. Um, we could crystallize, I would say, four key problems why we see as an asset class is mostly underrepresented and sometimes even hardly cultivated uh, in family offices or, or other portfolios, which are risk, intransparency, uh, not enough access, I would say, and illiquidity. Um, and we try to tackle these problems, um, reflect them in our fund structure, and by that lower the potential hurdles uh, to invest or invest more in the asset class venture capital. In general, you can see on the rest, right side of the page, um, investors invest into AQVC via a German-based non-listed stock company, which is kind of unique, I think, today. You know, no other fund or fund in Germany structured as a uh, stock company, as a German AG. Um, and you invest by purchasing stocks, as simple as it is in German governance and tax compliance topics follow the German capital market laws um, by that and are there covered. Um, next slide, please. Let's talk about risk as kind of the first of the big four hairy hurdles. Uh, depending on VC maturity levels, both experience levels, a lower and a higher VC maturity, um, are interested in risk reducing, obviously. Uh, with a lower maturity, you should enter this asset class via a managed and diversified product um, and with a higher maturity level and maybe already existing direct or fund investments uh, with a fund of fund and by this complement your portfolio. In both scenarios, um, the intention is um, as a fund of fund, we are by nature, um, of course, a highly diversified product. The target portfolio today consists of more or the target portfolio in, uh, of AKVC is, is, is uh, more than 50 fund managers um, in the future, and today um, consists already of nine and about 80 underlying startups already. Out of a risk perspective, um, this lowers the potential loss, obviously, to um, under 1% statistically to a regular VC fund investment with 20 to 30% and a direct investment with about 70% uh, risk of a total loss. Um, this this is a way better risk return ratio. Um, so, Mari, maybe maybe quickly jumping in here as a question, uh, or maybe yes. making it sure for everybody. Uh, we started with with AQVC investing uh, pretty much a year ago, so beginning of twenty twenty two. 
and 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 we have this like we continuously invest so we we invest in about two funds per quarter and we will continue to do this for for infinity technically right with the evergreen and that means if we have these 50 manager relations all of these funds usually come back every two to three years maybe every four years uh, to raise their next fund so that means obviously when we continue to back these managers we'll build up a portfolio of hundreds of active funds some of them may be in year 12 some of them may be in year one but that gives investors a, a very nice diversification that's not over diversified with 50 managers so it's not you know a huge huge portfolio but uh, obviously re reducing the risk significantly and this i think is the is the main point here yeah, that's that's totally true, and especially the blind pool risk, which which kind of leads to the next slide, Stefan. It's um, already today reduced, right? Because every with every investment um, we we take, uh, this reduces the blind pool risk a bit, um, and we think this is kind of the second big problem uh, why why not more people invest into venture capital yet. Um, Intransparency makes it difficult for kind of every asset class, right? So the more people understand about the topic or about any topic, the more likely they will invest. Um, furthermore, we see experienced a damper in regards to trust within the last two years. And therefore it will be essential um, in the future to rebuild this trust and transparency is in our opinion, one of the key factors probably. So um, as an evergreen structure, not only accessible and ready when you are kind of, but we lower the blind pool risk with every single investment. Um, as mentioned today, already nine funds and underlying startups, um, 80 plus and counting. Every investor who joins our fund of fund today knows what he or she is buying. Um, this gives every investor not only immediate div uh, diversification, but also kind of haptic assets. And in, 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 yeah, you, you kind of see what is in there already and maybe the whole thing goes and not only kind of a vision of the future that could come. Um, also different maybe to close fund of fund structures this is kind of very important in regards to the evergreen structure and it provides also access to already closed vintages so by um joining aqvc for example today you get um, exposure to an already closed vintage in 2020 uh, or 2021 and even orders as we are already purchasing secondaries as well um so this is kind of unique and thereby the risk return ratio is um, yeah, immensely leveraged. Yeah, uh, Maria, I think one thing that we have observed, obviously, is um, that if a fund is closed, then it's obviously you can do a secondary if there's anything on the market. But doing a secondary transaction in an existing fund that is closed is is super, super difficult, right? There is there is a long process. It's usually costly. Um, and there needs to be a, a, a buyer and a seller that need to agree on a price, etc. Right. So I think with with our structure as a as a baseline product, right? We always look at it from an allocation mix when we talk to our investors. Most of them are European family offices. They always look at venture as a whole uh, of, of a whole range of of potential investments. And there we've come to the conclusion, uh, analyzing the market and analyzing the data over the last thirty years, is that. A fund of fund gives you this baseline exposure. And so it's nice with our sort of rolling closes that investors can move in at any point in time. Yes, there's a higher price. So you obviously are paying for the, uh, the the current market value or the net asset value of the assets that you are when you are investing at that point in time. Um, but you have a much, much clearer uh, portfolio, obviously. And I think this is super unique in the market. 
um, where we have not found any other product that, that offers this kind of access and transparency for early stage venture capital. That's exactly. Next slide, please. So a bit more <clears throat> deep dive to the, to the evergreen structure, um, which is very important. Um, and in order to keep the trust level high, um, which is a set necessary to, to yeah, in parts even rebuild in the future, we actively communicate with investors. Um, this is not necessarily part of a, of a structure or the company structure, but it's important to mention, I think, because as you will experience it differently in other funds. Um, investor relations suffered within the last decade in the VC environment due to often great developments, at least with um, we believe that transparent communication is key to a sustainable relationship with investors and, of course, as well with our portfolio funds. Um, the investor relations and, and communication um, are key for us because since evergreen fund managers have a longer relationship with the stakeholders, the alignment of interests here, right? So we, in order to, to create or build that trust level, we, we uh, need to actively communicate with everyone um, of our stakeholders. Generating consistent returns and not um, only a one-time exit is also a reason um, and, and leads to a shared interest. In, in It makes it possible also to foster strong relationships and more collaborative approach. Um, and again, is essential for building the trust. Of course, being evergreen brings a lot of more financial advantages as well. And I don't want to dive too deep uh, into that come back to me or Stefan um, anytime afterwards, but um, compounding effects, um, time savings for reallocation um, are just just mentioned, uh, just to mention some of them um, are also very interesting in regards to this evergreen structure, of course. Yeah, and I think Marius, the point that, that I always find very interesting, and we talked a lot of it with our VC funds that we have invested in, is that the typical LP um, setup of funds is also changing, yeah, due to the sort of general democratization of private assets, right? This is a general market trend. It's a mega trend also. It means that traditionally the VC funds, right, which I talked about in the introduction, they had very few LPs. They had maybe 10, 20, 30 very large LPs, so big endowments, big, big uh, insurance companies, writing at least minimum tickets of 10 million or more yeah and um this has obviously now is also shifting yeah with a lot of emerging managers that have you know a very very good track record setting up funds two funds three and then suddenly they have 100 150 lps 200 lps so investor relations also becomes an actual you know, workload, right? When you only have 10 LPs, it's a much easier uh, relationshiping that you have to do versus if you have 100, yeah? That's 10 times the, the, the questions you will get. And and so yeah, I and think and this is... Also, also not the, only the amount, but also the mindset of the investors, right? Yes. So managing 10 institutionals is, is way different than managing 100 um, high net worth individuals or families even. Yes, exactly. And this is why we have focused on building a tech first, yeah, so that we are focused on, we understand the relationship, we understand the human nature of face-to-face -face meetings and the importance of that. And that um, I think is very important for each GP to understand. 
uh, that you need to, we are in a service industry, right? Yes, we are an investment product, but we're giving a service to our investors. And so you, we need to be there for them when they have these questions, but we also need to be scalable. And so this is the technology that comes in where the venture ecosystem overall has not seen innovation in its processes in the last 30 years almost. Yeah. And this is where we really want to be a tech enabled asset manager and drive innovation and adoption of, of technology in the ecosystem um, by making it easier for fund managers to engage with LPs. Yeah, exactly. Um, this leads also to our next next slide, Stefan, and, and we need to talk about ex excess or the or, yeah, lack of at least um, and, and insights maybe talked about it already, selection and accessing, um, depending if we uh, want to invest into um, established managers or, or emergings. So this is kind of the third hurdle where people are not investing, right? So many of the top tier funds are oversubscribed, obviously, and often ask for a minimum ticket that is not affordable or at least destroys a high net worth individuals or families diversification um, approach. And when you join a structure like a fund of fund, like a QVC that combines forces and gives you um, access to, to a multi-million portfolio with a ticket size starting down at uh, six digits often, this is often the only way to enter at, um, even this asset class in a reasonable way. And Stefan already also um, talked about this interesting fact that um, around 70%, plus 70% of the top DCI VC funds are emerging um, or developing managers. And this shows that there are great performing accessible funds out there, but not only the top DCI, but also the, top, the, the bottom half is shaped uh, by emerging managers. So it's crucial to be able to find, evaluate and access the right fund managers. And as a fund of fund, um, we help with a kind of unique market overview and you can take um, or we can take you by the hand um, and, and you can learn thereby how to pick and what to look at. Last but not least, uh, liquidity or illiquidity as one of the big hurdles, um, especially in today's market environments. Um, it's it's a, a high hurdle when entering or extending within this asset class. A typical VC fund structure is a limited partnership, right? So it's hard to exit before the liquidity of the fund um, after the end of the fund period, the official end of the fund period, which is mostly 10 to 14 years. So not only that you invest into a blind pool, you are stuck for many, many years. Um, we think it's important to at least provide a so-called semi-liquidity. So, so uh, hear me now, double kind of, sorry. Perfect, thanks. We think it's important to at least provide a so-called semi-liquidity and um, different to other funds, Investors do not invest by signing an LPA, but instead through this, as mentioned, much simpler process of acquiring a stock. So this allows us to offer a very important security aspect, which is a way higher liquidity than in a closed and limited partnership. And as you can see it on this slide already, there are many ways to exit the VC fund structure in case there's a need or a wish to do so. So AQVC um, implemented, a, a, we call it purchase program. So twice a year in this year and starting from next year, it will be four times a year. 20% um, of every capital raised for our fund of fund can be used for secondaries of existing shareholders at the actual share price based on the current net asset value, obviously. Finally, we as managers um, committed 50% of the management carry um, as a reserve for rebuying stocks. And furthermore, in case of a supply over, overhang, 
external liquidity providers in, are in place uh, to buy the remaining shares. So we work with several parties there and want to make sure that there's always liquidity available if someone needs to or wants to exit. Um, of course, this is a more, more soft factor, but we are a stock company. So as a holder of stocks or shares in a stock company, you are at any time able to sell your shares on your own. IQC will, of course, always help making matches with potential buyers. And um, last but not least, this is more, I would say, a long-term vision, but we plan to be at one time listed on a stock exchange. So we are working um, working on that and there needs to, to uh, flood some, some water down the river for sure. But <laughs> we are sure that venture capital will go through development of democratization and access. And we want to be in place to give access to a wider segment of allocators in the future um, and uh, be ready for that. And I, I mean, this is this is this is a general market trend, right? I think there, uh, you know, if you are a little bit in the in the industry of structuring, then there are LTIFs, there are different structures in private equity, listed private equity with partners group uh, and other players in the market that offer already these products. But I think it's early days still in this in this space, and none of these players yet, uh, like we are, is hundred percent focused on early stage venture capital and early growth, right? A lot of them are just mixed, very large asset managers that do everything and nothing. And I think the the, the, the strength comes from specialization and focus. And I do think that uh, like we see with ETFs, for example, over the last, uh, you know, 20 years, how the boom of ETFs made um, kind of managed funds for public um, equities a little bit uh, more difficult and very competitive, easily accessible, etc. for a lot of people. Um, the same will be true for private markets, where the bridge between the public markets and the private markets, they, they will sort of converge and you will have different products, whether it will be our stock, right? Whether the AQVC stock will be the Berkshire Hathaway of venture capital of the future. We don't know. Yeah, I think it's it, it, a lot of <laughs> we have high ambitions for sure. Um, but it doesn't matter, right? At the end of the day, even today, it's a fantastic investment product. And uh, we've put in the, the structure so we are flexible in, in whatever the future holds. And we definitely want to be on the forefront of this. And I think this is when you look at how a lot of the big players in the in the alternative space have emerged. Um, this is how a lot of them started, right? It's small, it's focused, it's with a very uh, strong conviction. Uh, and I think a lot of that is driven and comes from our entrepreneurial DNA. And this, I think, makes us also very different that we are not um, not uh, just fund managers. Yes, we are also fund managers. We are regulated, etc. But we are entrepreneurs. And, and I think this is very core of our DNA, which gives us a lot of authenticity when, when obviously investing into funds, why funds want to partner with us, but also partnering with family offices and investors who are also very often entrepreneurs and made their money building traditional businesses. Um, so this brings us a little bit to the end of the slides. We do have some more slides in the appendix. So uh, depending on uh, uh, some of the questions that might get asked, um, we do have, um, since we are streaming on YouTube, LinkedIn, uh, Riverside directly, we do have multiple different sources of questions coming in at this at this point. Yeah, uh, but please, if you can use the chat uh, in uh, if you have access to it for questions. Uh, we had a question from Brian, um, who is uh, from Earth Food Earth First Food Ventures, an emerging 
VC Fund uh, focused on alternative uh, proteins. So thank you, Brian, for your question. Uh, we actually invested in Nucleus Capital, uh, Maximilian Bade. Um, he is he's also invested in uh, alternative protein uh, companies. A, a great manager. We are very big fans of this space. Uh, so thank you for joining, Brian. Uh, and you asked a question uh, about, first of all, sharing our analysis, our, our consensus that obviously right now uh, we will have the best vintages, but also it's probably the hardest time to fundraise. Um, and yes, we are in the same boat, obviously. We are also fundraising. We are investing in parallel. Um, and I don't know, Marius, how was the fundraising for for Rheingau founders? Was that easy? Um, it was never easier, I think. And <laughs> exactly. In, in an imagination, is always easier um, than, than the reality. But um, Brian, to, to get back to your question, um, I mean, we, we obviously cannot invest into every emerging fund, but we are explicitly interested into emerging funds so happy to to review everything uh, you have and um, see um, if it's a fit or not but even if we as a qvc are not able to invest because it doesn't fit our strategy for example or we are out of cash um, and, and need to raise first um, there are other ways and we with our team um, are in preparation of being able because we know this problem and want to do something against it to um, help the emerging funds or everyone who has a good product and, and needs more money um, with our tech platform, um, we are we are preparing it in these days. So um, it's it's always worth it, I think, to uh, to reach out, um, even though we, as mentioned, Stefan Stefan said it, um, have um, already an alternative protein sustainable food uh, fund in our portfolio. But um, also at least even making introductions there uh, may maybe um, maybe of any help. Yeah, I, I think Marius, you know, we. we we have we we see ourselves like a fintech a little bit yeah on one hand we have our flagship fund of fund which is our balance sheet product um this will grow over time this is just we are fundraising ourselves um we've invested in nine funds um we're in double digit millions now that uh, that uh, we have in assets under management and we do quarterly closings with a couple of million coming in every quarter and these get bigger and bigger now yeah and i think um, that that means obviously we have a very clear investment strategy where we have already earmarked allocations. We want to get into certain funds, especially some of the top funds that we have access to. They're not really fundraising for six months, right? They are they find it easy to fundraise because the funds are small and they are oversubscribed because of the existing LP commitments. And so we always need to be ready when these funds call us and say, "Look, Stefan, you wanted to have an allocation. You got an allocation." Let's go. Yeah. So this needs to go very, very fast. Um, and with the emerging managers, sometimes we have a bit more time. Um, but I think it's very important. What we have seen is that the emerging managers um, uh, over the last uh, years, a lot of funds were started. And I would also say that a lot of funds shouldn't have been started, maybe. And a lot of tourists uh, also entered the ecosystem. And I think now that it's harder it, it also washes out some of the managers that shouldn't get funded. Yeah. And I think that's also, uh, it's a little bit Darwinistic and maybe brutal, but I do think it's part of the VC ecosystem where it's a bit of the survival of the fittest mentality. Uh, and one thing that I think is important there with all the, the harshness of the reality is that we try to pay attention to bringing more diversity to the ecosystem. Yeah? And I think this is important that even if you don't have maybe an existing network into the LP ecosystem, if you have not been 
you know, great at whining and dining uh, over over your career, but you're a great investor. You have access to the best founders. You have a great thesis and experienced in uh, alternative proteins, or we have seen other sectors like space tech, uh, automotive, and a lot of these things. Um, then that should not stop you from uh, realizing your dream of building a firm. And I think this is where we want to be a part of. And then sometimes we can't invest, as Mario said, but that's where we want to be helpful. Uh, and we have helped multiple emerging managers get in front of great LPs uh, and also find for LPs again, finding great emerging managers along their allocation strategy. Yeah? And so this is where we see ourselves really as a partner, as an extension uh, of not just our investors of, and their investment teams, but also uh, a lot of GPs out there who are trying to find specific um, LPs for their next fund. Um, all right. So Brian asked another question. What's uh, our current AUM and what's the target for the evergreen structure? So again, uh, we are now um, uh, double-digit millions. Uh, we, we don't talk about actual AUMs on the webinar. Um, the, the target size of our fund of fund is technically infinite. Yeah. Um, now, what does that mean? Right. I think right now the threshold that we can uh, legally manage is 500 million. Um, uh, right now, we then need to get a full license from the BAF in the German regulatory body. But Marius, maybe you can talk us about the process of um, of also growing an AUM and the legal ramifications around that. Yeah, obviously, it's also not only legal licenses or the financial authority you need to say that's more and, and, and yeah. be aware yeah, of what you do and it's a decision of the barfing as stefan said but um it's more also like what we are able to um meaningful deploy right so this is also very important so um i think midterm target size is 500 as stefan said um and mm, the long-term target Right. So this is what we are what we are aiming for um, and what we are looking for. And I told you a bit about a potential listing and a potential uh, needed volume, therefore. Um, and there we are talking about one billion plus, right? Before it makes sense to to make it fully liquid and and even accessible for other segments of investors. Yeah, uh, I think the way we also look at it is a little bit in terms of recycling, because um, obviously when we make returns, uh, some of it will be paid out to our investors in the form of dividends or share buybacks. So they do get liquidity. And we explained earlier the the diversification. So if you do, if we are investing and we have 50, 60 manager relations and we do every single one of their funds, uh, that means we end up with around 600 to 900 underlying funds. Yeah? And so one of these funds will always be distributing. So at some point the portfolio is built and then you're basically distributing every year. Um, and that's very attractive for investors because it's, it means stable liquidity and stable returns. But it also means to us that some of that will also recycle into the next vintages. Yeah? And so right now we are aiming to recycle uh, 70 75%. Uh, this may change, right? So we may only recycle 50% or much lower over the years. But then we are also under allocation pressure. So if we if we believe that we can allocate around 400 to 500 million per year, anything above that will start to dilute our our focus. Yeah, and I think that right now with the geographies of uh, US, Europe, and Israel, 
with some emerging markets, I think that's already a very large um, market to cover where with, with 400, 500 million of, of uh, allocations per year. Um, I think this is, this is still very, very focused, uh, but anything above then starts to get much, much bigger. Again, counter arguing a little bit our focus and, uh, uh, and that story. Yeah. Um, I hope this helped answer your question. Maybe leading on to that, Marius, um, a, a question on how much we invest per fund. Yeah. So we usually invest, um, between 500k and 5 million, 6 million is the largest ticket we have done. Uh, but also that we want to then also increase over over the years. Um, what is sort of your point of view also on, and your experience on how much to allocate per fund? Yeah, it's a very good question. Um, and it's a it's a kind of stupid answer as it's such a, a widespread right between 500k and 5 million. But it really depends on um, stage of the GP of the manager of the fund uh, emerging or established and also what makes sense. So in a obviously bigger target or a bigger, bigger fund size, um, it, it makes less sense to invest um, only a small ticket. And with smaller funds, it's sometimes very important to not invest uh, too, big, too, uh, too big tickets, right? So um, I think the problem is in the answer that there is no way to go, right? So it's a very individual um, uh, matter and, and we decide fund by fund really also not only about um, if we invest and how, but also um, about the, the amount we invest into this fund. So it's very individual for us. Yeah, and I, I think also because, you know, we are evergreen, we want to be a long-term partner. Coming back to Marius's point, not just in building long-term investor relations with our investors and, and being an extension to their team, but also being a long-term partner for our funds. And this means also we want to grow with them, um, increase our allocations. Right now, we don't invest in... Or we rarely invest maybe for some established managers. We do that in the first closes. But over time, we want to do this. And I think this is coming back to bringing more uh, diversity into venture capital, uh, uh, seeding and helping VC funds to get started. We really want to start backing them as early as possible uh, right now because of you know the earliest stages of our own uh, portfolio. We are not doing this, but we want to get there, right? And I think this is something that is also unique in the industry that you have an LP with that kind of flexibility and un deep understanding on how, on how they can be helpful in the market. Um, normally, the seeding of funds and the large tickets in Europe, they come from the governments like the European Investment Fund or the KFW or BPI in France. Um, and I think we want to do this more independently. Uh, and this is uh, also important for the ecosystem. Um, we don't take a, a GP stakes uh, because we just got that question, not with our flagship product. Um, so uh, we don't take GP stakes at this stage. So we have had this as an idea um, at some point, but right now we don't do this. Um, so I think we're out of time. We started a little bit like two, three minutes later. Um, there, there's still some questions coming in. Um, but Marius, I don't know. Do you have any uh, final question that you want to pick? Otherwise, we'll wrap it up. Um, there are many coming in. I see just one coming. The average success rate of startups in VC portfolio is 10%. Uh, and why we do not connect the carry to the success rate to motivate VCs to increase the success rate of startups. Um, also a good question. And something we, we also had to learn as a fund of fund is um, we are a bit 
um, far away from uh, the startup stage, right? So what we do now and what we as a fund of fund is our, our um, mission to find good managers who take the right decisions. So we are not able to um, motivate or to, to, to change the behavior of our VC fund managers. So we really need to, and this is mentioned, the learning uh, need to look um, for good managers who take the decisions um, industry-wise and also founder-wise and also strategy-wise. Um, and therefore, um, yeah, we, we, we do not connect the carry to that. Well, yeah, but, but I mean, carry is based on performance. So I do think there's a certain connection this of carry to... for sure. Yeah. yeah, so to that. So, um, and there are usually hurdle rates in place, etc. Um, but... Uh, there are lots of questions still, so I, uh, we have to wrap it up, unfortunately, but I think we can do a part two of uh, maybe having an open forum or uh, where we skip the presentation. Maybe some people know it by now um, and we dive directly into questions and share a little bit of the knowledge and have a more open and public discussion with some other LPs and, and VCs about the current challenges as well as opportunities that we are seeing in the ecosystem. Um, that's why we are also happy to answer every questions uh, offline, right? So um, yes. if your question was not answered, which should be uh, actually the most ones, uh, get back to us anytime. 